0: Good morning. I'm not Walt, uh, but my name is Israel Siam, and uh, I go here, and I'm also uh, the campus staff leader at, with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at St. Mary's College of Maryland, and uh, it's an incredible honor for me here to share with you God's word. Uh, will you join me? Uh, in reading our scripture for today, 2 uh, Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It should be on page 989 in our Blue Book Bible. Before I read, I want to set this passage up for us. So the community of Thessalonica uh, started, uh, you'll see this in Acts 17. Paul comes to this community, uh, a secular community, a secular community. Filled with uh, people who practice paganism and and maybe some who practice Judaism, and when Paul comes and starts this community, uh, he doesn't stay there long. Uh, In fact, as often, uh, what happens to Paul is he shows up, he starts sharing the gospel, and it makes somebody unhappy, and then they could come out. And so the same thing happens here. Within a month, he's gone. But he leaves this community that he started, and he's worried about them. And To give you an idea, Thessalonica at this point was the capital of Macedonia, a big, very well-known city uh, filled with people of all ethnicities from different backgrounds. And so Paul sends Timothy to check how they're doing. Are they still keeping their faith? Are they still growing? Or have they stopped? Timothy comes with encouraging news, and he writes 1 Thessalonians to praise them for all the good things that they're doing. In fact, they're doing so well, he writes a second letter And in the beginning is what we have here where he's encouraging them, and he's proud of this church. And this is what he says, Paul, Syllabus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done at this church, in this county, in this state, in our country, in this continent, and in this whole world, as it is in heaven. Lord, this morning, give us our daily bread. Feed us through your word. Speak to your people. Show us your way. And Lord, have your mercy on me as I dare speak of your awesome, amazing word, and that we would step out of these doors transformed to becoming a step like you, that we would declare your kingship to the whole earth. Amen. This week, I had a, an opportunity to spend uh, at a mission, time and missions conference in St. Louis with around 16,000 students. These are students who gave up their holidays uh, to go to the cold city of St. Louis uh, at the stadium of uh, the Rams where they worshipped God. Uh, They praised God's power and authority. And at this conference, 16,000 students Learn about what it means to go out into the world. These 16,000 students interceded and prayed for the persecuted church. As I was sitting and watching this, this was the most incredible experience I've ever had. 16,000 students praying for, by name, for every country, the places where our faith is persecuted. And you can see the floor filled with them, some crying, some lamenting, and some praising for what God is doing uh, in this world, outside of our boundaries. 16,000 students also gathered and worshipped and took communion. Uh, And what's even more incredible is that this is a Christian conference, a missions conference. Some brought their friends who weren't Christians. And by the end of the week, 681 students made a first-time commitment to follow Jesus, right? 681 students said yes to this Jesus. To make things even better, by the end of the week, an invitation was made for these students, some seniors, some recent graduates, and some maybe first years, to make a commitment to go to mission, to go and make a commitment, a year commitment to go abroad or Doing mission work in the States, a three year commitment, a five year commitment, and thousands stood up and made that commitment. College students who often are not thought about as missionaries. And as I sat there, I was so proud of our movement. We have our own struggles and our own issues. I'm in no way saying we have it together, but in that moment, it hit me just how proud I was of InterVarsity and what it's doing on campuses. And today I want to talk about what it means to be proud of our community here. When we think of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, when we think of this community, why are we here? Why are we here? What are we looking for? Some of us go to church because we like the preacher. Maybe it's the worship that connects for us uh, Or maybe the friends that come with us. And we think of a community as something we experience and not something we cultivate. And today I want to talk to us. What does it look like to cultivate a community that God would be proud of? That modeled is modeled after Scripture. And I want us to, and I want to challenge you, you know, as you look for this community that you're proud of, um, how your picture fits into that story, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage of Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonica. It's a greeting passage, right? It's a passage we actually read quickly, and we go into the rest of the passage, but I am convicted that God is going to speak through us and model for us what this community looks like, and he starts, Paul, by saying to the church of Thessalonica, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in Scripture, not just in Thessalonians, but in most of Paul's writings, is that every community that is formed is formed because God formed it. And in fact, I would argue, all of us have gathered here from different backgrounds, uh, different places. uh, But for most of us, we have a minimum one thing in common. We're here to hear and learn from our Father and from our Creator and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that common thing is what shows us that it's God who gives us community. And because God gives us community, uh, Paul is going to show us and, and Scripture will show us that because God made us a community, we must grow in our faith. That because God made us a community, we must increase our love for one another. And because God made us a community, we must endure affliction and suffering. And if we do these things, if our community has those things, uh, Paul would brag about this community the way he did about the community of Thessalonica, and I would pray that God would be proud. It's not profound or earth-shattering revelation that we must grow in our faith, we must increase our love for one another, and we must endure reflection and suffering. And today I want to walk us through each and see at least what that looked like for this community and see how we can replicate it and what is our role. And how can Cornerstone look like that? All right. First one is we must grow in our faith. Because God gave us a community, we must grow in our faith. Like I said, because this is a greeting passage in 2 Thessalonica, most of our evidence for this community will be in 1 Thessalonians. And. And so I want you to open your Bible with me and look at these passages. So we ought, he said, always to give thanks to God for your brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly. There was something about this community. After he left them, their faith was exploding. So much so that not only did Timothy come back and report on on this growth, by the time Timothy came back, Paul was already hearing it from other people. Right, This small community in this Influential City is growing in its faith. And I want to look at two ways there that shows us how that happened. The first one that they were doing is located in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. This is what he said. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is a work in you believers. Now imagine people who have never heard of God's word or the Jews who've heard of the Torah but when they heard this word of who Jesus is and who Christ was they received it not just as a word of men but as the word of God. And they acted on that. Right, to receive something when we read scriptures to receive it as the word of god is to acknowledge that this god the god of the universe the maker of heaven and earth somebody and someone who's way bigger than us who can comprehend all of our issues who is the peace of the world the reconciler of all that is good this god they received him fully so when that which which meant they didn't just hear paul and and the disciples and and as they learned about Jesus, it wasn't just a recommendation for how they were going to they were gonna live. It wasn't just if it works out for them, it fits, if it fits their schedule. It meant they realigned their entire life around this word that they heard. And they lived by it. And in that, them receiving it as the word of God, it impacted how they lived. Now, these letters, when they're written, they're... You know They're read to the whole community. And the temptation sometimes is to say, well, great, what does that have to do for me? But Paul always says, and you'll see this over and over, that each one of you, which means this community, each one member of the community received God's word as God's word. See, a community is a collective of individuals, right? And so if each one of us, or each one of us commits to God's word the way these people have, we would have a community that is growing in faith because we've received God's word as God's word. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my life at the risk of being judged, uh, but I ask your patience. I love sports. I love football. Uh, any of you Cowboys, Eagles, Giants fans? Okay, well, I'm a Washington team fan, and, and I think those other teams are eliminated from the playoffs at this point. <laughs> right? So, Yes. But you know how much I know about football? I can probably tell you the roster and lineup for this, mo- this afternoon. I can probably tell you the backups. In fact, I've watched this game so long enough, I can tell you what lineup and what play they're going to do. And I would, I would boldly declare maybe half of the time I'm correct. <laughs> I, know, I know everything about this team. And I watch it. And, and I spend a lot of time watching football. In fact, after church, I go straight, and, and that's what I do. And I invite friends with me. And I have community around it, but I watch it. <laughs> uh, some of us watch Netflix or HBO or Hulu, right? Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, watching. In fact, if I ask you of your t- t- favorite TV show, you'll be able to tell me the characters, the names of of the people in it, uh, maybe the plot line, uh, maybe even convince me to, to love it too. You would know about almost every character, maybe including that bartender really is sort of an extra. Uh, ever since I moved to this county, I've learned more about P8s and P3s than I ever thought I would because most of you spend a lot of time, uh, whether it's engineer or wor- whatever work you do with the military, a lot of time knowing these things. I would say you would be you are experts. Uh, in the same way, I would, uh, our our mind and our thinking is influenced by what we watch. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we walk into each other's homes and the TV is on and there's some sort of news and that impacts how we think about life and how we process information and then what we say based on those things. I wish I could tell you I know Scripture as much as I know football. Or... The characters of the Bible, as much as I know my favorite TV show, The West Wing, and I would argue it's probably the same for all of us, the invitation is for us to know God's word is God's word and to impact our lives. And if we truly say God is God and the God of the universe, you would think it would change where I spend most of my time. Uh, when we think of what influences our community and the Christian community, uh, the biggest threat to Christianity in this country is not extremist group outside of this country. It's not political perspectives that are different from us. It's not, it's not in a lot of things. Uh, Christianity Today just posted this article this past summer, and research through Barna Group and different Christian groups have shown that the biggest threat to our faith in this country is our lack of biblical understanding. In fact, biblical illiteracy is the highest it's ever been. It's, often to fi- it's very often we can find people in, this, in our community that have not heard some of the basic stories of Scripture. I want to read you some statistics. 45, 45% of us right, who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week, about 45% of us. 19%, 19% of us claim to read it every day. 26, five times, 25, 26% percent few times a week, 14% once a week, 22% at least once a month, and 18% rarely or never. The community of Thessalonica, when they received God's word, they received it as God's word, and it dictated how they lived, the decisions that they made, and I want to challenge us, what does that look like, I'm not saying this because I've mastered it, you can talk to my wife, my journey group, uh, my coworkers, to know that I'm in no way, but I, now I realize more than ever, I need God's grace in this, and I want to invite all of us, as the community of Thessalonica did, to receive God's word as God's word. What's directly correlated to that is what the community of Thessalonica was doing, and that is, we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, three. they worked to please God. They received God's word as God's word, and they worked to please God. For this is the will of God, your, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Again, the emphasis here, right, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And then in chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The invitation is not that we come to church and receive these things and then go, and that's what makes great community. The invitation is that each one of us when we go home, when nobody is watching, that we're receiving God's Word as God's Word, and that we're pursuing a lifestyle that pleases Him. And that when each one of us collectively do that, Paul is making this point, then that's reflected on the bigger community. Which means the weakest link of this church is me. If I am not doing that, that impacts the image of this community. And this, when I realized that, it brought a sense of uh, seriousness to my pursuit of Jesus. That I am a reflection, as a member of Cornerstone, on you. And you are a reflection on the church. And in here, he's saying, if you follow God, as this community did, look different. The life you live, the lifestyle that you live, uh, s- seek to please God. And this community actively did. Therefore, because my, God made us a community, we must grow in our faith and because God made us a community, Paul teaches, we must increase in our love for one another. And I would love to look at, and look at that and what the community of Thessalonica did. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right, because the love, again, let's pay attention to that, the love of every one of you, right, the love of every one of you for one another is, is increasing, I'm pretty sure we've heard teaching and preaching around love quite a bit. Uh, and So this may not sound, uh, again, something new, but I want to look at three specific ways this community loved one another and see what God might be calling us for us and how that should look for us. So the first thing this community did is that they were welcoming. And if you look into the background information in this church, like I shared earlier, they're composed of people from different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, and different practices. Yet somehow, in Christ, they were welcomed into this community. Different people different backgrounds. Which means there were somebodies in that church saying, hey, we need to actively be caring towards the people that come to us. So for Jews and Gentiles... To coexist under the same building, under the same house, and worship this amazing God it's because they were welcoming. Uh, th- you know, the famous punchline that you hear nowadays is that the church is the most segregated. Sunday is the most segregated time of the year, right? And we talk about what it means to be welcoming and what it means to be caring. Uh-huh. Well, this should challenge us as to, like, who is our neighbor? Who do we bring here? Who are the people that are not here? I hope this leads to the question of who is missing from from our church. Um, They grew in their love for one another based on 1 Thessalonians because they were acting like a family in Christ, because they were a family in Christ. And I want to look at two ways they were a family in Christ. One is they loved one another, as in walked in love with one another. The second one is they cared for those who are the weakest among them. In 1 Thessalonians 4.9, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. As they walked in and out, out of church and church and community, there was an intentional care for each person. Uh, some of you might know Lisa Brandt. One of the things that she used to challenge me is, imagine if we clean our house Saturday, so that when we go to church Sunday and if we find somebody new, we can ha- invite them over for a meal. And I always thought that was crazy, right? Like, intentionally come into church, not only to receive from the Word, but with the hope that you would leave with somebody new and, and welcome them and care for them. Oh. I think that's amazing. And I think if we can bring that level of intentionality that uh, this community did, God will also grow us in a community. Again, this, is, this could be tempting to say, well, this is for somebody else or, or for our church, but Paul is saying that each one of, if each one of us can commit to that, Paul says that we will grow. Uh-huh. And then the second part is, they looked after the weak and those who were fainted. Uh, and I want to look at as the passage from 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Paul says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, pe- be patient with them all. This is probably the most challenging thing to do because this gets in the way of our own plans and our own schedules and the very things that we want to do. Uh, a couple of years ago, when I was at the University of Maryland, uh, it's very common we get emails during the summer saying from students, hey, I'm coming to this campus, I would love to get plugged in your community, can I meet with you? A uh, student leader emailed me saying, hey, I want to introduce you to a friend. Uh, she will be a first year, and, and she wants to get plugged in with an you Can you meet with her? So we meet at this coffee place, so the, friend, the our student leader brings this friend, but then the student leader says, oh, actually, I actually have to go, so you're going to meet with her alone. Like, I'm like, wait a minute. You told me, like, you know, there's going to be an introduction, and but so she kind of just left me hanging. So I'm sitting... In this coffee place across this new student, uh, her name is Ashley. And, and I was, you know, doing what people do. And I said, hi, uh, I'm Israel. I'm the seventh with InterVarsity. Sorry your friend just got up and left, but uh, what's your name? Tell me about yourself. And in that second, uh, the craziest thing happened. Uh, she tells me, oh, I'm Ashley, and goes back to her bag, opens this bag, and brings out all kinds of medications on the table. She says, this is for my anxiety, this is for my depression, this is for this, and this for that. All I said was, who are you? Right? All I said was, hello. Yet she's pouring her life to me, the person she's never met before. And as she was doing that, and I'm not proud of this, but I start praying, God, please don't let her come to our community. Please, because we have, we have plans for that year. There are things we wanted to accomplish and clearly, I knew that she needed a lot of help. But she wasn't inconvenient to me. She was an inconvenient to our plans. She was an inconvenient to everything that we wanted to do. And so I stopped praying for her to go away. And I remember driving that just that day later. I was in the car. It was as if God was speaking, saying, shame on you. You know, like, this community, you exist, Israel. The work that you do is for people like her. So if you're not willing to welcome her and care for her, you might as well just quit. And I remember just repenting and and confessing and asking for forgiveness in the moment. And what that showed me is I think often the friends that we have have a social capital that meets our need, right? They're not an inconvenience. They either lift us up or they're like us, they think like us, and often, maybe unintentionally, we... Marginalize the people who need help. Yet in this community of Thessalonica, Paul praises them and encourages them to care for the weak, for those who are struggling in their community, right? And so maybe if you are the one that's struggling, I want to encourage you that this should be the safest place for you to be, to be cared for, not just of God's people, but of Christ himself who, who welcomes and cares for us. And who, his entire mission was to bring freedom to the poor, to the needy, to the oppressed, to the blind, to the crippled. Uh, there is rest in God's house. And to those of us who follow Jesus, I want to encourage you: Who is different from you? Who, who needs care? Who needs help? What does it look like to invest our time and energy in welcoming and loving those people? And when we do that, Paul says, uh, at least this community has grown and is now reflecting this God's image and God's kingdom. So much of that, Paul brags about them to all the other churches, and thousands of years later, we're here talking about the same church. A small, tiny church located in a community, in a big city, in an influential town, yet they were known for the way they left for each other. And then lastly, in terms of loving one another, is that this community uh, respected their leaders, or their elders, or their church shepherds. Um, In 1 Thessalonians 5.13, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. I come from a culture that is extremely obedient, obedient to authority, to obedient to people who are over you. And one of the things that... uh, that has helped this community grow is apparently in their ability to respect and care for their leaders. Uh, And one of the ways to do that is to actually make ourselves available to the instruction and guidance of church leaders, but then also to say, how can I serve? Uh, On campus, when I work with students, the people who grow the most in their faith, the people who grow the most and their understanding of who God is and their love for other people are the people who say, I want to serve. I have no clue how to do it. I'm not skilled, but I want to serve. And what, they rea- what we realize is that when people serve and make themselves available, they experience discipleship through that. They experience care. They, they learn to pray to God for guidance. They learn to, uh, to trust on him for instructions. And in this community, they were doing the same thing that it's a work of co-laboring. It's easy to talk about a community that I'm proud of, to say I want to be proud of this community and I want to go find it. But what Paul is saying is that each one of us are responsible for that community. And each one of us, when we care for one another, when we care for the weak, and when we say yes to an invitation to get involved, that collectively is what leads to this strong community or a godly community. And then lastly, because God made us a community, we must endure affliction and or suffering. And I want to look into this and how this community did it, and I want to specifically look into why they suffered. Why does this church or this community suffer? And then once they experience suffering, why did they endure it? Uh, So I want to look at three ways, three reasons this community was suffering, and then I want to look at the two ways or two reasons uh, that this community uh, endured this suffering. So, why suffer? Why was this church suffering? One is because they rejected their old faith. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, it says, Paul is praising them and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. You see, these were people who practiced paganism or or Judaism, and while they were still with their families and with their friends, they said no to those things once they heard the gospel, and they said yes to Jesus. But they didn't do it by leaving the context of where they grew up and where they were. They did it while they were still in that community. And and when you abandon the thing you grew up with, the culture, the things that you've been taught, the way you think, when you say no to that, as this community did, and yes to this Jesus, somebody will be upset. Somebody will be frustrated. and Somebody will be disappointed. And for this community, they were suffering because they were publicly and openly abandoning their old ways of idolatry and paganism and saying yes to this Jesus that they have heard from Paul this Urbana mission, uh, one of the few stories we got to hear was people who were serving in places like the Middle East, uh, places where Christianity is not allowed. And one of the things, they, the stories you heard is that these these families or individuals who are worshiping Jesus grew up maybe Muslim or grew up a different religion, and once they heard from Jesus or heard the gospel, they said yes to Jesus, but they didn't change the context of their community. They were still within their families who were Muslims, they were still with their families or friends who believed something else, but now they're going around saying, we follow Jesus. And a lot of them ended up in prison or dead. Now, you might say, well, we don't get persecuted here. Like, we have practice of religious freedom, and we can share the gospel openly, and we can talk about it, and nobody's going to kill us. True. True. So then why don't we speak of the gospel boldly? Uh, One of the things you notice in this passage, and really in all of New Testament, is that persecution was, these people were suffering because they didn't wait for somebody to come to them and ask them what they believed in. They went and shared this good news that they just experienced, which meant the farmer went back to his field and told his co-workers about this new experience he just had with Jesus and that got him in trouble. Or, or the woman, maybe she's collecting water at the well, and, and in that conversation with her friends that she's been collecting water for years, now tells them and opens her mouth and says, I follow this Jesus, and that got her in trouble. And I think in the same way, for all of us, to those of us who claim to follow Jesus, how often do we tell our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors of this Jesus? Who, who is the giver of life, that, that there is no way through without him. The truth is, uh, I can speak for myself, often I justify myself out of those opportunities. I say, well, this might be uncomfortable for this person, or I may not be al- allowed to, to talk about Jesus in this context, or at work, right? In fact, at St. Mary's College of Maryland, I'm really not allowed to talk to, if w- there's an administrative meeting, there's a staff meeting, uh, there are certain things you're allowed to talk and not talk about. And often, we follow those rules because we want to be respectful, but because of that, we never share the gospel. Um, I always ask my students, how many of your friends know you're a follower of Jesus? I want to ask you, how many of your friends and your co-workers know that you worship Jesus? And how many of them know that there's no life without Him? See, those reasons are legitimate but they should be opening a door for us to creatively and actively pursue opportunities and not paralyze us to a point that we don't say anything. And in this community of Thessalonica, they just kept talking and opening their mouth and telling about Jesus, and because of that, they suffered. And in fact, Paul makes this point for them in 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your, from your own countrymen as they did for, from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. He said this was the style, the way that was done before you. Even our Jesus Christ himself went to the synagogue, to the marketplace where people were and spoke of who he was. And the disciples did the same thing. In fact, Acts 17, Paul goes to the marketplace in Athens, the most secular place uh, or, or town of, of that time at a marketplace and he goes and starts talking about jesus he was being respectful he was being sensitive he was being caring but those things did actually inspired him to speak of the gospel and for that he suffered in fact almost every town Paul ever touched he got kicked out right away And I think, yes, we have a freedom of religion in this country, but often the fear of tainting our reputation or uh, maybe losing our job or maybe being disliked by our families, our own families, I think, gets in the way uh, of us sharing this life-giving gospel. And, And Paul invites us, and I invite us again, under God's grace, uh, to say yes to God, not just for our lives, but for others, and share them with, with our neighbors and our co-workers. Be respectful. Be kind. But it might cost our job. It might cost our reputation. And until we're willing to say yes to that, we will have freedom of religion. And Paul says in 2 Timothy, following Jesus and sharing the gospel will always lead to suffering. Uh, 2 Timothy says, if anyone desires to live a righteous life, they must suffer. So this is an invitation for all of us. Uh, I want to share with you a story. Um, I'll put up a picture in a second. I I don't think anyone would, but I ask you not to take a picture or or anything of it. But... um, the picture, these are my aunt and my uncle. Uh, my uncle has been in prison for about eight years. Uh, they live in Eritrea, where I'm from. Uh, he's in prison because he got caught leading a Bible study. And his brother, who I don't have a picture of here, is also in prison. He was a teacher, and he is in prison for also eight years because he told his friends at work about Jesus. And then often, my temptation is to pray for their freedom and and pray for their safety, but what they come back with in their request is for me to live my faith authentically. Like They almost never pray for them to get out because there's a sense of ownership to what they do. They would say, we are in the right place. This is our calling. I mean, it's, it's actually crazy, Right? But they're so convict- convicted by this that they're happy and, and th- there's a sense of joy to where they are. Oh, by the way, they are, he's a father of two, my uncle is a father of five. So my uncle had an opportunity to not share t- about Jesus because it might cost him his job. He could have said nothing. There was an invitation to, to be silent. Yet somehow there was so- something about Jesus that was so convincing. That they shared. And because of that, they are paying for it. And I want to challenge us as this community is challenged by Paul that what does it mean to share with our friends and our neighbors the king of kings, uh, the giver of life. And then there's the sort of like, okay, we suffer because of this, but why endure, right? Why are these people in prison enduring? Why? Well, Paul reminds Thessalonians of this, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 4, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. My friends, Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't remain dead. He rose from the grave victorious over death. And our hope is in this king, right? Our hope is that this reconciler of this world will come back again. Therefore, we don't fear a person who can take our life. Even Jesus fear the one who can take your soul. We endure as this community endured, as my family members are enduring, because they know that this world is temporary, right? And to those of us who are in journey groups, that one of the scriptures where you memorize is, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God make, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, that God has put us on this earth to beg this world to be reconciled to him. And that could not happen if we don't say that Jesus is Christ. And this community did, and it cost them. But that cost actually led to the growth of the church. And when each one of us, right, not collectively the church, the collectively the church will happen if each one of us are willing to open up our mouth and talk about Jesus in all the context, our families, our work, our school, with our neighbors. When I do it and you do it, the reputation is that people who go to Cornerstone tell people about Jesus. And collectively, when we sum and we add that up, we become a community that is willing to endure these sufferings. Otherwise, we're just going to always keep looking for a community. We're going to keep looking for, maybe we'll go to a different church and then switch another church. Or, but we will not find that community because God makes us a community and he's put us in this church, in this place, so that we, each one of us, can grow in our faith by accepting God's word of God's word, by loving one another especially caring for those who are in need and willing to endure the suffering that comes because we don't just mind our own business. We tell other people who Jesus is. I want to finish with this story. Um, So this Urbana of 16,000 students happens when 2,000 plus staff and volunteers get together and plan for two years. Right, And there are so many jobs, some glamorous, some non-glamorous. There are people outside in the streets directing traffic. There are some people who are working in the cafeteria, aligning people, 16,000 people, trying to get them fed. There are some people who work on the stage, in the backstage. There are some people who are speaking. But collectively, when each person does their role, collectively you're able to execute a conference of 16,000 people. And what's incredibly risky is, like, when one person fails to, their, to do their job, it can significantly impact the whole conference. And so there is this call for all of us in, that, in the preparation. Please be diligent. Please live out your job and your commitment. You train, they train you, and you practice, and you practice, and you practice. And then the event comes... And it's like this machine that kind of just runs, but you don't realize there's that many people working to make it happen. And the same thing is for a community that we desire is a collective of each individual who is engaging God's word, who is engaging in God's love for other people, and who is willing to, who are willing to share this good news to others. And I want to invite us, the community that we need is not going to be out there somewhere. God has given it to us already, but he calls us, each one of us into those things we just looked at let's pray gracious and merciful god we're honored to be called your children although undeserving in so many ways you give us life and life abundantly lord help us to to share you with our neighbors with our friends Thank you for those of us who are engaging in your word, who are loving one another, but as Paul reminds us to keep doing it more and more. But help us to carry one another. Help us to build this community of Cornerstone that you've given us. And may our reputation down the street, around the corner, and across town would be a group of people who truly love God, a group of people who love one another, and a group of people who are not afraid to declare that you are king. God is great. Amen.